podcast of the Galactic Heroes, space <laughs> anime. How's it going, everybody? Remember this time. <laughs> yeah, I just think, you know, just fuck it. I'll just do it in advance. <laughs> then I can't get, mm. they can't get my ass roasted at the end of the episode. <laughs> Uh, episodes 85 to 89 today, and this is uh, closing out season three, or se- yeah, season three, and opening up uh, season four. Yep, so they do some, uh, I guess, cleanup work after what happened the last uh, couple episodes. Uh, episode 85 starts out with, on the way home from Islehorn, uh, Mittmeyer asks uh, Fazan what happened to Rutan's kinky girlfriend, like I guess he called in. And I should probably stop calling her Rutan's kinky girlfriend. Her name is Elfried von Klaust. Yeah, Klaust. Like Kolrausch or something? Yeah. yeah. We'll call her Elf um, for short. Yeah, let's call her Elf. How about that? Elf, okay. I, Elf. I can remember that. Um, she went missing. Um, I guess, like, she just disappeared. And the police don't know what happened to her because they were kind of keeping tabs on her. And so Mittenmeyer kind of blames them for not doing their job. Yeah, like they say, like, hey, we're we have we've had our hands full since the the bombing situation. We just haven't been able to. And Mittmeyer's just like, and you haven't fucking figured that out either. God, you all suck. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that that exchange. I felt sorry for that guy on the phone. Oh, we're putting all of our resources towards the uh, the assassination and the death of Silverbridge. Oh yeah, how's that going, huh? Uh... <laughs> I obviously could use uh, more funding, but. Uh... <laughs> So Ryan gets back to Fazant after traveling home with everybody. Uh, here we learn that Lang, who is the secret police dude, has captured a ton of terrorist dudes that were responsible for the bombing. Um, Ryan gives him a promotion and a big bonus, and he donated his bonus to, like, welfare charities. People thought this was, like, hypocritical that he was just doing it because he wanted, I don't know, attention and glory and that kind of like political capital and then yeah no it turns out he's been giving his money to education and the arts like forever i love no one knew about this i love that one off salary the narrator is like the narrator is like that huge fucker that asshole you hate so much lang he donates to orphans (laughs) heart of gold (laughs) i don't know if he has a heart of gold but yeah maybe he (laughs) sees it very much like Atonement. It seems like the author may have realized he accidentally make, made the character a little too hateable. He's like, <laughs> yeah. He was like, oh crap! I actually need the. You can't be as bad as Trunix. I gotta walk this back. The thing is, like, oh no, okay. How, thing, how do we? How do we get? Do we give him a dog? No, Oberstein's already got a dog. Shit. Um. Uh. He gives his money away. He gives orphans. There's, yeah. there's something that does dog. bother me with Lang though that they do with some <laughs> characters in anime, and it's just that when they try to make him sound jowly, it always makes me think he's in the middle of eating or something. You know? Yeah. His voice actor kind of hams it up in that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm hamming it up. <laughs> Lang has seen a lot of hams in his days. So uh, we get a scene of the state funeral for Silver Birch. Uh, the narrator notes it was impeccably well done and all that good stuff because I guess militaries are good at funerals. Uh, there's the note here that Oberstein planned the entire thing, which makes total sense because Oberstein is totally a funeral planner. I could yeah, see him doing that. Was that was the best part is, yeah, everybody was just kind of like, yeah, Oberstein did all the funerals and they were fucking great. They were the best funerals we've ever seen. And then everyone's just like, yeah, no, damn, got to give it to him. And like two of the other guys are just like, I wish he was just the fucking funeral planner and he didn't do anything else because, I mean, he was pretty good at that. <laughs> so um, I think it's a scene between Lutz and uh, who's the guy who lost his arm? Uh, Whalen? I think they uh, talked. Yeah, that, that wasn't Wallen who was talking to him, though. It was some other 
guy who I can never remember. In any case, uh, let's marry that kinky nurse he ran into. Uh, the one that he was talking to with when Wallen was in the room after the bombing. Mm. Um, that's just some weird side thing that happens. Um, so we get a scene of all the admirals uh, around. Uh, they have a toast to the dead. Uh, they talk about Steinmetz, Fahrenheit, Yang, um, talking about what they're going to do. They realize that the terrorists are now the new issue, the hot-button issue, since the FPA is gone. Yang's fleet is pretty much neutered and not going to do anything for a while. Terrorists need to be dealt with. Um, they wonder if they can count on the interim security forces, the internal security forces, because um, obviously they're military men, but they really don't have the jurisdiction that, like, you know, the police do. But they wonder if they, you know, the police are going to be able to do a good job because they haven't even found Rubinsky, who's still fucking mm-hmm. around. Which yeah. segues into one of the funniest scenes, I think, is... <laughs> what was this backdrop? I don't know. Yeah. Lang is on a couch, and he meets with Rubinsky, and they're in fucking Sea Lab. They're in a house C-Lab. underwater. <laughs> Yeah, some of those assholes in Pod Six. <laughs> He's one of those people who just like decided all of his walls needed to be an aquarium with like a one-way mirror and a double mirror, so it looks like the ocean. Just no, it wasn't was bad. Lost. It was actually underwater. <laughs> they do an outside shot going in. But uh, anyway, Rubinsky uh, wants the <laughs> Rubinsky wants Lang to help him repair the relationship with Ryan. He knows that like he, this like Ryan just conquered the universe, so he needs to get back in with that. So. Rubinsky sold out the terrorists to Lang, which is how Lang captured him and got his big promotion. Uh, Rubinsky uh, ends up showing uh, Lang the hologram of Elf, uh, Rutan's girlfriend, and Lang kind of is shocked because he didn't know that Rubinsky knew about that sort of stuff. I guess it was on the download, but I guess Rubinsky knows everything. Uh, Rubinsky yeah. thinks that using this, he can take down Rutenthal, and if he does, this will give Lang his in to get on Ryan's good side. They don't really explain how this is going to happen. But, but yeah, it, they even like they just basically say like I have a way I could make him commit high treason. Are you in? And he's like, you can make him commit high treason. He's like, yes. He's like, okay, let's talk. And then it zooms back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At first, Lang was sort of like, uh, oh well, you know, I could just sell you out to Reinhardt and win a whole bunch of brownie points right here now. I mean, why should I have to you know deal with you or anything? And then Ravinsky just rolls out this little hologram pill and goes, oops. I dropped something. Yeah, that was weird. The hologram-like thing was, it looked like a suppository. He just dropped yeah. it on the countertop and it started also doing like hologram Also like how Lang just did an immediate about face as soon as he saw who it was. It's like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. I guess I Lang mean, was spooked that Rubinsky knew too much or something. Mm-hmm. So well, just we more see... so, he just saw a chance. To, it just it seems that Lang really is holding a grudge for Royenthal big time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do not like each other. So we see Boltek, who, by the way, we remember, was injured in the bomb plot. Um, he is arrested for the bomb plot and charged with killing Silverbirch. They say he held a grudge or something for Silverbirch being too good at his job or whatever. So uh, he's in prison eating a meal, and he dies because he is poisoned. Uh, this kind of shocks everyone. Lutz, who himself was also injured in the bomb plot, wonders if other people who were injured could be made into suspects. Like, he thought by virtue of being there and getting injured that, you know, they wouldn't be a suspect. But... He thinks that Lang basically, forged the Basically, evidence. like, Boltick is clearly not actually guilty in this situation. Yeah. So, uh, Lutz wonders if Lang... He thinks Lang forged the evidence to pin this because Lang's kind of a jerk. And Lutz... Everybody in the military doesn't really trust Lang at all <laughs> because of his history and his character. So, Lutz sends out a notice to Kessler, who is the MP head of military police, asking for help dealing with that. 
we get to a scene of Rubinsky who's back. He went from Sea Lab back to the Alps, um, where Dominic is teasing him about Baltic's death for stuff. Uh, he made it happen so that he could make Lang kill an innocent and have basically dirt on him for blackmailing purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some more scenes of them talking. I don't remember exactly what they say, but she leaves the room and goes to a different room in this Alps house, and it's Elf there with her child. Um, she says uh, she can. Dominic says she can trick Rutenthal, or Rutenthal will be tricked soon into doing something stupid, and that Elf will get her revenge because she still very much has murder in her eyes. Also, when she kicks the door in, it kind of made me giggle a little bit because, like, Elf was already just in the ground. On, on the corner, like, on the yeah. ground, in the back of the room, like, huddle up in a ball where the light would, like, appear from the door. And it's like, why wouldn't you just, like, lay in the bed or whatever? There's a perfectly I mean, bed, a good bed. It's yeah. right there. Yeah, like, I mean, you're, you're, good, you're here anyway. Might as well sit in the bed. <laughs> she. It's also shown that, like, uh, Elf is, like, really ter- – she's both uh, – I don't know. She's like half scared and then like half furious in her in her response. She's, she's, she's always furious. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of I her thing. She, it seems. Yeah, yeah. like but, she's a distilled. She's Shenkop without reason. <laughs> levels of anger at all times. Wasn't yeah. there something that Rubinsky mentioned in passing about her probably not being related to Lichtenlaw or something like that? It's like part of the I dirt. I don't remember. Angle. I can't recall. Uh, the one something, thing, about, something about her lineage, though, and I think they were going to try futzing something around in there, maybe. I don't know. One thing that is shown, though, is even though she's both scared and angry, she does ask Dominic for like supplies, like milk and diipers and stuff for her child. So she actually, I guess, does care about the kid. Oh, really? Right, right, right. I've like, got to do something with this screaming yeah. little thing here. So Dominic walks back into the room where Rubinsky is. Rubinsky is on the couch clutching his chest, having a seizure. Um Rubinsky gives or Dominic gives him some pills and he eats like a million of them. It doesn't mm-hmm. look very safe the dosage he is doing. Also, <laughs> also they're just like orbs. They're not really <laughs> regular pills. They're just little white circles. Like breath they're just, like, they're just like, like cookie sprinkles, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I always like in these uh, shows. Whenever there's someone who's like deliriously sick, they always grab their pills and they shotgun a whole ton of them. It's like you don't yeah. do that. <laughs> that's how um. you die. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then he immediately starts drinking again. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. He pours himself like he he had started having the seizure while pouring himself some whiskey, and there's like whiskey all over the desk. And then after he's done having the seizure, he like, pours like entire like two or three fingers of whiskey. And it yeah, he just goes woo whiskey time. <laughs> <laughs> it's also noted that like she tells him to see a doctor, and like I guess he just doesn't want to see any doctors. I. Don't know if he believes it's, in, like, it's, holistic it's like whiskey or something. It's like he was saying, no, this is clearly a witch doctor curse. Or, no, she said that. I'm sorry. Yeah, she teased him to saying he's cursed because his sons want to kill him and all that. Yeah, um, because it was a curse of his son and then also the bishop of the Earth Church getting back at him or whatever. Yeah. So we get to a scene of Ryan uh, giving the official news of Odin, uh, of moving the capital from Odin to Fizant. Um He rattles off the list of names of everybody going with him. Basically, it's everybody except Mechenlainer who's going to stay on Odin to protect it. Who is um, the uh, poetry admin? Yeah. Uh, Art John Cena. Uh, Hilda asks Reinhardt if uh, Anna Rose is going with them. He gets super mad and says that he, she will never live Kilkeis, being, you know, Kilkeis's grave in the mountains up near that cabin she lives in. Uh, there's an interesting and funny scene here of Reinhardt is doing paper shuffling for this move, and he gets a notice that says that Trunin wants a job. Specifically, <laughs> he wants to work back on Heinesen, where he was before. 
So Reinhardt asks Hilda about this, and Hilda immediately says, "This is a terrible idea. Why would you ever consider this?" But like, like, don't don't let that serpent into your oh. house. And then Reinhardt's just like, "Well, I'll, he'll have to work at a place where he's really disgraced because he sold them out. So I'll just." give him a really embarrassing position so he won't be able to take it because it'll be too embarrassing because he'll be too ashamed. There's no one who doesn't have that much lack of shame. <laughs> Basically, he tries to make an untenable position that no one would ever take because it's so shameful, except it's true in it, so he took it. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it's funny. some garbage. Would you like some garbage? Yes, I'd love some more. Well, wait, no, stop. No, fuck. <sighs> yeah, there's like a kind of like, he'll never take the position to, he took the position. <laughs> <laughs> the next day. Fuck. <laughs> And it's like Ryan, like fucking, like biting his thumb and like getting mad, pissed off, and just being like, "God damn it! <laughs> I can't believe that." Yeah, idiot. the whole thing he was saying was he was expecting to offer him a shitty position. He would turn it down because it's so bad. And it's like at that point, it's like, "Well, you spurn the hand of the Kaiser. Guess you're not getting any favors at all." Yeah. So this, which news is comes weird. Out. They say they say there's an autocratic sort of system. You can't just go out and kill someone. They say it's sort of like actually you probably could. <laughs> But well, <laughs> so the news comes out that Trinit's getting this job. Um, Oberstein gets news of this. He thinks that they could use Trinit to kind of smoke out people that aren't loyal to the Kaiser, like during the move. Um, I forgot. I always forget the dude with the gray hair that works under Oberstein. Um, I forget too. But Doesn't he matter. says that like he he talks. He wonders to himself about like how Oberstein likes to burn anything that will, could damage the. Uh, Reinhardt's rule but he says that like if this gets out of hand it could also end up burning the house down and it says that like Trunet is kind of risky in that situation that like obviously he can make people that are still loyal to the FBA and whatever show up but it could also just backfire completely on him um, the end of this episode is weird because it's Reinhardt flashbacking to being afraid of the dark or something it's I don't really know what the scene was showing aside oh, from I, this I is a sister <laughs> It was not the best written scene yeah. uh, of them all. Because it was just like Child Reinhardt in the dark flipping a light switch, but nothing happens. Just being like, ah, ah, and the sister <laughs> walking in and basically just being like, Ryan, your gold hair is the light. Be the light, Reinhardt. And it's like really weird and not what any person would ever say ever. Yeah. It was, uh, they were trying awesome. to show he misses his sister, but it was a bad scene. And that, like, she helped take care of him so he feels like he has a debt. Because at this point, it's kind of hard to compare told you to stop being a wiener about the dark to conquered the universe so you could stop being a concubine. (laughs) I feel like those are, I feel like those maybe aren't equal in the eyes of the average viewer. Yeah. Uh, uh, Episode 86 starts out with uh, Islehorn getting the news about Reinhardt moving the capital. Um, there's some scenes of Julian Kazarin talking about why they're doing this. It makes sense for them. He can hold better rule being in the center of the universe than on one side of it. They also wonder, like, now with Yang dead, Reinhardt is more level-headed. Like, he doesn't have that bloodlust thing going on. Uh, so he really doesn't care about Izzelhorn the way he did earlier. Izzelhorn was more of a passion project for him, and now that Yang's out of the picture, it doesn't really make sense for him to pursue that. It's also lost its strategic value since it was formerly a choke point between two places. Now that both places are captured and the seat of government's in the middle of one of the other choke points, like, Islehorn's just the backwater. So they are luckily safe from his ire for the time being. Um, They show everybody leaving, uh, all the deserters and stuff left. Uh, 
I think they said there was 5 million people on the fortress before, and now there's, like, less than a million, so a good number of them left. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like, 950,000, and of those, it was, like, twice as many men as women. There's also, the narrator makes a weird note that two-thirds of the remaining people are men, and then of the women that do remain, a lot of them are parts of families. So, like, they said this, and then immediately did, like, a close-up shot of Julian, which... I don't know where the narrator. And, and like I think Pope Lon was there yeah. too, probably. <laughs> yeah, which Pope, so, Pope Lon doesn't really care if they're married or not, so he doesn't seem that's bothered. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Rutenthal has made his way back to Heinison by this point. Um, he now commands a huge fortune, uh, a huge amount of space, uh, a huge amount of army. He commands all the old goings on of the FPA. He gives his underlings various positions. Some of them, they're satisfied with their ranks because they feel that they've been around longer and have tenure or whatever. Um, they also wonder about Trunit being uh, posted over here. They think it was supposed to be to embarrass Trunit, which it is, but they also wonder why Ryan would ever let this you know, rat fucker back to where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rutan just straight up uh, told one of his underlings that he's ready to kill Trunit if he tries to start yeah. shit. <laughs> Rutenthal was just like, he's like, whatever, I'll take advantage of this and I'll just fucking watch him like a hawk and if that motherfucker slips for a second, <laughs> the guillotine <laughs> yeah. comes fast. Knives it are was out. like, yeah, it, it, it was pretty cold what Rutan did. <laughs> it, was, it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, also during the scene, we note that a lot of the people that were on Izzelhorn that deserted want to return to Heinesen, even though they're still technically criminals and war uh, fugitives on the Galactic Empire side. Um Rutenthal realizes that he can't be totally dickish about this, so he lets all the civilians go back in for free. Low-ranking dudes need to, like, do a register, and then high-ranking people need to, like, meet up once a month to make sure they're not doing anything stupid. But um, for the most part, like, the civilians on the Heinesen, on Heinesen, like, think this is good, that he wasn't mean and he was fair to these guys <laughs> in the interest of peace and all that. Um, they also see Mirai's name and wonder why he would desert they uh, think back to him being an assassin, perhaps, but uh, they realize. I'm kind of curious why his name stuck out. Is it just because he was the probably the highest ranking defector or something? Yeah, I think that's what they said that he was the highest ranking defector because all the other ones either died or stayed on mm-hmm. Islehorn. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, Boris and company are on Heineson, um to see the memorial service for Ryang. I guess, and they are dressed. Damn sharp. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so Rutan, as part of like reconciliation for the war and everything, offered a memorial service for Yang, because even though Yang is dead and technically a traitor, a lot of people in Heineson still loved him. So he has a memorial service or whatever. And uh, they say he's doing this for political points, you know, to try to offer uh, olive branches and all that. But mm-hmm. they're walking down the street, and they happen to see the Grand Bishop of the Earth Church just walking with some other dudes. And they wonder, is like, hey, is that the Earth Church guy? And they just say, yeah. And where is he going? Maybe they know who killed Yang. So they trail him, and it ends up that they walk into Trunit's mansion. Fucking Trunit, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. First off, what a guy. <laughs> Trunit has been on screen for, like, all of, like, four minutes in the last two episodes, and he is already starting shit. Like, a yep. ton of it. Just in <laughs> case you forgot how, how much of a cockroach this guy is, there you go. <laughs> I also find it funny that Trunit, who was captured in wartime on Odin and, like, put in jail and stuff, still has a mansion halfway yeah. across the galaxy. Well, I don't know. So, um, Ju- uh, we get to see on Julian doubting the ability. He's always self-doubting himself because he always compares himself to Yang. He wonders if he can carry on in Yang's legacy and all that stuff. 
there's a weird scene of him kind of waxing philosophical to Yang's perceived ghost. As this is this him. isn't this isn't dusty as in Ghost Yang. This is literally a Ghost Yang. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, to be clear. Yeah, it's not Yang subconscious as a character. It is an actual ghost of Yang. Yeah, the main takeaway here is that he is sad that like four-fifths of the people deserted because Yang had died, and he's sad that he thinks that the democracy, the future of democracy depended on one person instead of the ideals themselves. Um, he talks with Frederica about this. They know, They both know that going forward it's going to be tough because they're both put in very tough positions dealing with his legacy. Um, there's a scene of Kataro's giving him a drink. <laughs> to be specific, it, it's like she's just like, "Hey, you look tired. Hit this," and just like hands him a glass, and he looks in it, and it looks like tar. Yeah. And like he takes a sip of it, and he's just like, "Holy shit!" And she's just like, "Yeah, it's medicine. Tastes like shit." Now slam it, wiener. <laughs> just like I, I couldn't remember what she was giving him at that point when I was watching this, and I thought for a second, "Okay, that's going to be coffee with salt in it or some shit, right?" Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. it was actual medicine. It's, like, it's okay. funny because like, now that she's opened up to him, she like constantly bullies him all the time for being a leader. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, we have another Shen Cop situation. That's <laughs> yeah. what's going on. Which like is good. I'm daughter. glad the author realized who everyone's favorite character was and found a good way to put another one in. <laughs> when Shen Cop's not on the screen, we should be asking where Shen Cop <laughs> Where is Shen Cop? Yeah. Wouldn't it be weird if we just have somebody who's exactly like Shen Cop? What if it's a child? A child shin cop? Like a baby shin cop? No, like a daughter shin cop. <laughs> so although, they talk- a, although a tiny toddler shin cop would be so hard to <laughs> babies. <laughs> Rosen Ritter babies. We're baby shin cop. <laughs> make your dreams come true. Rosen Ritter babies, and it's just like a series of episodes of increasingly complicated ways to try and keep these children in. And you never see the full adult. Time. You just see yeah. like up to the kneecaps of the character, like Julian or something. Constantly breaking out of the crib. Yeah. So, uh, Rose and Julian talk for a while. Um, they ask why she stayed, and she stayed because she respects Frederica and the work she's doing. Um, she says she likes Yang uh, because Yang was the person who did what needed to be done in terms of, well, every situation, really. He was the kind of the leader. Uh, Popolan and Dusty are spying in on this conversation, and they start dragging each other because that's what they do. Mm. Um, so they have a meeting of people, uh, all the higher-ups on Islehorn currently. They start talking about the future of the new government and what they should call it. Popolan says they should call it the Islehorn Commune, but Dusty says that's a terrible idea because communes never work. <laughs> yeah, every time there's been a commune, it's failed in the last, like, 100 years, so no. Yeah. Uh, someone comes up with Islehorn Republic government, which is completely boring, but it works, so they go with it. Um, they talk about putting Yang's face up in different places, which seems strange to me. I think they it said... Was, they said it was very specifically to avoid hero worship, and... It was like they were putting his picture in a few prominent places in government buildings and then just like nowhere else. I see. Because they wanted it to be a democracy and the worst thing about a democracy would be having like a weird, like a, a democracy that was based on an autocracy, you know, yeah. like it was based on Yang, not on. Well, they said there would be, they they said the places where they would hang these pictures, there could be Al Heineson, there could be Yang, but absolutely nobody else. So yeah. pretty much just saying that's it. <laughs> yeah, and actually we see that in the next scene because she gives like a, a speech to the entire mm-hmm. Isleworm population 
Um, it's like a rally pep rally, the declaration of the new government. Uh, she talks about fostering democracy for the future. They sing the old Free Planet Alliance anthem, which is strange, I think. They should probably come up with their own. Well, I think but, this, is a, this is supposed to be the, an extension of the Free Planet Alliance because the old one is basically a sham at this yeah. point. Well, it mm-hmm. no longer exists after yeah. Ryan took over. Yeah. But yeah, and the narrator ends the episode by saying that Izzlehorn has a million people compared to the Galactic Empire's 40 billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 87 starts off with the uh, a recap of Season 3, because this is the start of Season 4. Um, there's a new intro with some really god-awful singing. In it. Oh, that it intro is really me. fucking bad. Uh, yeah. The ending yeah. themes I like, because the guy who sings them was a very popular J-pop singer in the 80s, and he was very good, but the openings have always been terrible. I, so, I feel bad yeah. for ragging on it, but like the opening songs are in English and it's sung mm-hmm. by a Japanese woman, and it's just not good. Yeah, it, I don't for doubt me, that she just, can't sing, but her English is bad. I just don't like the melodies, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Like most of the melodies and stuff are just really boring. Like it's closer to a lullaby than it is to something I would use as an intro. Yeah. Oh, the um, animation and color quality, I guess we should. Yeah, I was about to note that the animation takes oh, yeah. a. a noticeable change between season three and four it starts to go from that late 80s look to that early 90s look um it's also saturated a bit more mm-hmm. but it's not that like all the characters still look the same it's not like the new 2018 no no it's that, not terrible i think like no. the animation quality and the colors stand out the most i think yeah the lines the, are crisper the like yeah. the blacks are black and the yellow the colors are aren't as washed yellow. out like, yeah Ryan, like, like reinhardt's hair across the series has gotten a brighter gold as they've gotten oh we should do brighter colors yeah for mm-hmm. example <clears throat> So the uh, first scene of this episode is Reinhardt on Fazant. He's working very hard trying to get things done. Uh, he, some guys are telling him that he needs to spend more money on, I think, party or something. I don't remember. He said he needs to be more frugal with their money because they spent a lot of it on war, and now they need to recuperate that. Uh, Ryan's a great narrator notes that Ryan is great at politics and military, but he doesn't know shit about normal life, like, at all. Yeah, it was like they were saying, you're the Kaiser, you should be living in a big, huge, fancy palace. He's like, no, I'm good staying at the Holiday Inn. I mean, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Um, they yeah. were trying to continue on the work that Silverbirch <clears throat> was doing, because Silverbirch was building the new palace and government facilities and all that on Fazan. And since he died, like, they tried to, you know, restart that. And in the meantime, he's just staying in an old hotel. So he's saying, like, no, it's fine. We can live here for a yeah. while. And the thing is, the the dude who's talking to him is like, yo, if you live like this, no one working under you can really live a comfortable life. Because if they live a life that's more nice than the Kaiser, then that looks pretty bad for them. So, like, please live nicer. <laughs> <laughs> At least have one butler. Jeez. Um, they see, uh, sorry, uh, Mittenmeyer uh, is asking him about building Izzlehorn-style stations on either side of the Fazani Corridor because he thinks that's a good idea for security and, you know, Izzlehorn's impregnable. There's no way anybody could take it twice. So uh, we get a flashback of Rutenthal talking with Mittmeyer and Kilkeice. Um This was after you know, Mittmeyer was in the room saying, like, do you remember the day we met and all that? This is where they actually showed the rescue of Mittenmeyer. Like, earlier they had talked with Rutenthal. They'd seen the flashback of uh, Rutenthal talking with Kilkeice and Reinhardt about getting but this actually shows what happened. 
Uh, Mittenmeyer is in a cell and he will not eat, so he gets roughed up by some fists in the North Star. I, I like that because the, the guy said, uh, "Why aren't you eating?" It's not like it's a poison at that point. At that point, it's like, "My dude, just two episodes ago, someone died from that very thing." <laughs> no, the response he gives is great. Well, like, if I get response, fat, yeah. The, the response, yeah, he's yeah. like, "Why aren't you eating? Are you worried it's poison?" He said. No, I don't want to get fat. My wife would kill me. <laughs> like my wife would hate me if I got fat. Yeah, so, but most most of it is pretty skippable or unimportant, in my opinion. It kind of yeah, just it, the it's, quick it brings recap up against... a, that no, it brings back the noble with the very bad hairstyle. That's Flegel, yeah, yeah. So Flegel shows up in the cell um, with a bunch of his cronies. Uh, he wants to. He's making fun of Mittenmeyer and says he's going to kill him and all that. Mittenmeyer's like, "Why don't you fight me man to man?" Ha ha ha! And Flegel falls for it. And he tries throwing the worst punch I've ever seen, like the most limp-wristed, not-on-balance punch. And then Mittmeyer immediately takes advantage of this and starts beating the crap out of him. So his friends jump in, and there he's about to get shot. But it ends up that uh, Mittmeyer is saved by you know Reinhardt and Rutenthal. And Kilkeis, yeah, yeah, Kilkeis is there somewhere. You know. um, so the fallout from this is that Flegel had a huge grudge against them and this is why in the prequel movie and in the first couple episodes that they are always getting put into terrible military situations because Flagel is pulling the strings trying to get him killed via military action oh but, this was before that oh I didn't yeah that. yeah so that's why like in the first mm, couple okay. episodes they're always doing stupid shit but it's ended up backfiring on him because it made them get a whole bunch of military accolades and honorable medals and made them move up the ranks faster instead of dying so jokes on him yeah um, we cut over to Heinesen where Rutenthal is doing his thing. Uh, it turns out that not only is he good at the military, he's good at being a civil servant. Um, he's fair and he makes a lot of reforms. He enacts a lot of social justice reforms, um, noting that autocracy makes a lot of really like gentle calls as far as like punishments and stuff go. And so, yeah. Um, he notes that obviously autocracies get the things faster done than democracy, so people see the changes and kind of warm up to him. Uh, he arrests a bunch of Free Planned Alliance people on corruption charges. He doesn't stop the protests of the media, so people are generally liking him, which is good. Yeah, I like that. He's probably reading up on it. He's like, oh, these people are crooked as hell, but they couldn't get arrested because of red tape? Huh, weird. Well, red tape's gone. Time to go arrest them. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, it's like, it's like anti-Galactic uh, Empire protests, too. Yeah, to like, he clear. didn't squash like them. People like people protesting, like, get rid of it. And he, yeah, could go out there and be authoritarian and just end it, but... No, he lets it go. He lets the media report on it. He's like, yeah, no, it's, you're right. Probably guys. a good idea to let them burn off the steam and all that. Yeah. So there's a great shot of Trunet landing from his spaceship, getting out at the airport, walking out of the spaceship. It just looks, and then plays this dark-ass classical music, like Takata and Fugue or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally overdramatic, and it's funny. Uh, the media immediately starts attacking him because he's a dipshit douchebag. Um, Trunet's all smiles and Rutan of course doesn't trust him and he puts him under surveillance um, the underling one of uh, Rutenthal's underling makes a note that he doesn't want Rutenthal getting obsessive about Trunet and like losing his mind over it even though obviously Trunet is a problem if he becomes too obsessive about it like uh, Reinhardt does with, with Yang then it could be a problem um, they know Ryan sent him out here because one Ryan didn't want to deal with it and two he didn't think he'd be shameless enough uh, but they also think that Oberstein may have something to do because Rutenthal still has issues with Oberstein as long 
along with all of his underlings, they don't trust him. Yeah. I also like uh, this guy who was, who was advising him was uh, one of the dudes who was working under Kierkeis. I can never remember this guy's name. He's got a very prominent That's the beard, beard dude. Yeah. It, it always The beard looks like a face warmer. I don't know why. It always looks like he's got something slapped on <laughs> That him. was the guy when but, we were first introduced to him was slamming fucking oh, yeah, yeah. Like he right was, before the battle. He was down and shit like crazy. But uh, the thing I liked is he was telling... Uh, Rointal is telling him, telling him, hey, you know, I hope you don't lose control of yourself over this Trunit guy. And he's like, oh, if I lost control, he'd be dead already. He's <laughs> kind of like, oh, no, I'm totally level-headed right now. Man, I should have, like, really go back to these episodes and take, like, shots or take, like, screenshots of all these scenes. Because there's another funny scene of Mittmeyer in his full admirable regalia sitting on a bench <laughs> in, like, JFK Airport waiting for his wife to come off the airplane. And yeah, like, it looks like that picture of sad Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I also like how there's like a, a random, uh, much lower person in the military who kind of notices him in the background. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. But um, he's sitting at the airport. His wife, uh, Eva, comes off the airplane or whatever. And this is their first time seeing each other in almost a year. And it's shown that they have a very good relationship with each other, which is nice. Um, they have a double dinner date with Reinhardt and Hilda at Ryan's request. Uh, Reinhardt goes ahead and starts praising him to Hildar, and everybody had a good time. They talk about uh, Mitten's proposal for those Izzelhorn fortresses, because why not? Uh, on the way home, like, so they leave the dinner day party. They, I guess Mittenmeyer got a house that's close to Reinhardt's palace, so they walk oh, on back. Um, on the way back, they talk about how Ryan needs the fuck. Yeah. Um, I think specifically <laughs> Eva says that he should fuck Hilda. But. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the Kaiser, but if I was the Kaiser, I would tell him to throw a fuck into, into Hilda or something. I don't know. <laughs> I also have the note here. Mittenmeyer, the Mittenmeyers have the worst fucking McMansion. They show I the outside the, of the house. I was house. trying to hold back a laugh. McMansion is a perfect way of describing it. <laughs> it looks. Yeah. It looks totally trashy. I also love the um, the doors were very. Um, the, I was listening when they went up the door, and you know, this is like the future space thing. You're expecting like automatic doors or things to sound all fancy and futuristic they just like the stock sound they used for the front doors opening and closing were so cheap i loved it it was yeah. just like a, it was just like something you'd hear of like a i don't know like a shitty theater thing like they got the contractors to put up those houses real fucking quick it's like how gas stations sometimes have the sonic getting rings noise <laughs> what is that I, I there's a gas station near me i hear that all the fucking time and i don't know what it is <laughs> it's the sonic getting rings noise That's i thought it, it was just like this really obnoxious phone notification the guy behind the desk had i don't know no yeah that's just on certain cash registers i don't know why i've seen a bunch of different theories as to it but all wow. of them have been proven that's how to be eggman bullshit. gets all of his money sound off yeah, in the comments but... help us solve this <laughs> <laughs> yeah like and subscribe and also explain why gas stations sound like sonic the hedgehog tell me the secret of the rings <laughs> Uh, so the episode ends with uh, the narrator saying that Rutenthal is the second most powerful man in space, but where does Rutenthal go from here? All menacing style. And <laughs> there's a new ending uh, credit sequence that shows Julian getting water from people and putting it in his hands and throwing it at the galaxy or something. It's silly. Uh, episode 88 starts with a recap of Frederica's declaring the new government on Izzelhorn and stuff like that. Um, there are some dissenters on Ilzahorn thinking that it is now the government of the widow and the orphan, uh, referring to Julian and Frederica. Mm -hmm. uh, 
there's a weird shot of Ken Julian on a on the bench that Yang used to sit at in the park on Izzlehorn, looking very Keanu Reeves-ish. A kid runs out of the bushes to say hi to him. <laughs> he's just like, "Are you, are you Lieutenant Commander Julian Mincy?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm really, I'm a big fan. Love your work." <laughs> like, it's, it's I also really like weird. they didn't even really consider the scale of this child because Julian stands up and this kid is like not even waist high to him. I don't think I'm like, yeah, hold like on the, a second. It looks kind of weird because the kid kind of has adult proportions, but then when Julian stands up, the kid's like three feet tall. <laughs> Also, it's like it's like drawings from the it's like drawings from the 18. Middle Ages where they can't yeah. draw children well. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I don't know at thirteen, I think I was already like almost six feet tall. Something we talk about much. Of... Yang was actually seven feet tall. <laughs> Julian taller than Yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the whole purpose of that is we get a flashback of Julian doing the same thing to Yang to show that Julian has now moved up and is more important or something. Who knows? I noticed that there were chemtrails on Izzlehorn. There's a shot of the sky hmm. in the park where Julian's at. And I'm hmm. assuming that the sky is like, hmm. you know, that Vegas style fake sky to make you feel like you're outside. But there are definitely chemtrails up there. Hmm. Well, maybe that's one of those things that like, you know, uh, after we moved off of Earth, we found out we really missed having chemtrails. Ah, I see. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, they're just like, hmm, something's not right. Oh, is it that we don't have any double rainbows? Nah, that's whatever. Is it chemtrails? Oh, we don't have chemtrails. Commander, what are you, what are you putting inside of Isserlone's chemtrails? <laughs> the harp system keeping the weather in sight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Enough scripture theories. Uh, Dusty and Popolon are talking. Uh, Dusty is trying to write his book and noting that they are being judged by history. Uh, can they keep democracy going? This is important things for them. Uh, Popolon makes fun of him for shit. Dusty breaks the fourth wall and says that dead people can only come back in shitty animes while looking directly at the viewer. Yeah, it's really uh, good. He's like, this isn't some fucking third-rate anime. Nobody's coming back to life, so stop fucking asking. I also, <laughs> it just, I also love that of all people, Dusty is saying Dusty's that. Dusty yeah. And he, in fact, is Yang's ghost, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Popolon uh, continues to drag him for his bad writing skills. Um, Julian, uh, we got a scene of him talking to Kataros, I believe. He's thinking that since they're on the fringes of humans and society, they are defying Ryan. Like, they are literally on the fringe of society, being out in the middle of space with no one around them. And they're also kind of on the fringe of society in the fact that they are the only ones that represent democracy and do not really trust Ryan. So he thinks it's kind of interesting. Uh, Katara shows up and starts giving shit to Julian again, saying that Yang didn't look all that important despite the fact that he was and that Julian should not live up to that or something. Uh, she says it's really strange that they're witnessing history. Like, she remembers all of the conversations she had with Yang, despite the fact that they may have not been important at all or noteworthy at the time, knowing that, like, mm-hmm. she took part and place in history. Um, and that she only realized this after he had died. I mean, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, like she said, she was like, yeah, no, I had, you know, some respect for him or whatever, but I didn't think he was, like, some amazing guy. And now that he's dead, I actually realized, no, he, he was kind of a big deal, huh? Yeah. Like, it was one of those, yeah. So they're walking the hallway when a drunk dude on Izzlehorn, like a military guy, just comes up and starts giving shit to Julian, blaming him for Yang's death. The guy's just yelling at him. And Julian's is, just taking it stone-faced. This, this is something where I'm a little confused. So that kid who ran into Julian earlier referred to him by a lieutenant junior grade. But the thing is, 
he's also technically commander of Isserlon, so was he... Yeah, um, I don't know I think, what the rank thing is doing. Just, I think people just aren't caught up on but the fact that he's commander I now. guess. Yeah. That or they don't like respect him that far, which is weird because he could court-martial them and all that. But mm. mm-hmm. Anyway, this guy's yelling at Julian. Julian's just taking it straight-faced. And this pisses off Catrose, and she's getting mad that he isn't standing up for himself. So she jumps in front of the drunk guy and starts yelling at him, telling him to stand up for it. Which he, Julian was probably doing exactly what Yang would have done, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the drunk guy eventually triggers Julian by dissing Yang for dying for to the terrorists instead of to Ryan. So now Julian snaps out of it and grabs the dude's throat and tells him to fuck Don't off. Don't talk shit about my dad. Yeah. Popalon steps in and dresses the guy down and d- dissolves the entire thing, but Popalon asks him mm-hmm. to go for a drink, and we get Shenkop watching the whole thing from an alley, because Shenkop does. It's, it's funny, because of how massive Isserlone is, you have all these little people and this little clique that are always just not too far away from each other. I find it like funny, like Isselhorn being that big. I wonder if they only like inhabit like a tenth of the station. Well, it's, it's like a it's tenth just, of it's just nothing. It's just like in that other episode where you've got you know Marinesque and um, Konev and all that, and they stumble across the Earth Church people. You know, on the, on the other side of the galaxy, just walking around <laughs> on foot inside of a big old giant future town that's the size of a fucking planet. And well, just see, like it, that was done. Way, it's nice. I. I I really like the idea that Chen Cop just likes to keep his like subterfuge and sneaking skills sharp, and the way he does it is by fucking with all of his friends and following them around and pulling pranks. He shows up in your room at the middle of the night. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, Isselhorn held five million people at one point, and now it's holding less than a million. So that means like most of it's empty. So I'm wondering if like anybody just like fucks off to the other side of the fortress where no one is, and like I don't know, cooks meth or something, <laughs> like. <laughs> there just seems like a lot of space for children to get lost in. <laughs> anyway, I totally lost where I was in the notes. On that uh, light <laughs> note of children getting lost. Weird. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So uh, it cuts to uh, Shenkop and Kazern oh, yeah. uh, having a talk. And kind of explaining how Julian took Yang's position uh, to make up for the fact that he didn't save Yang's life. He like wants to carry on his will, kind of. Yeah. Um, Shenkop being Shenkop says we need to just get rid of all dissenters right away. We need to get rid of everybody who doesn't, you know, who, who isn't on board. And Kazern explains, like, no, we are a democracy. Like, dissenters are part of democracy. Part of the nature of the beast. We got to let them live. I, I and, like uh, this scene because as as Shenkop is saying this, I just, for some reason, was getting this men- this mental image of him thinking, hey... I was the devil on Yang's shoulder. I could be the devil on Julian's shoulder now. Ooh. <laughs> um, just, you know, just just get rid of everybody who doesn't agree with you. Come on. I think uh, Katarose is taking that position from him in a way. Yeah, <laughs> <Probably>. yeah. <laughs> so we see a scene of a Julian talking to Dusty. Uh, Dusty is musing over the fact that they should start an emperor for themselves, like an empire, like go to, like, say, Alpha Seal and try to sow the seeds of democracy there and try to get more political influence by having people follow them. Um, I don't know where he's going with that because they don't have the military or political power to do that, but who knows. Um, it, the narrator notes that Yang, not dying to Reinhardt, freed Julian from having to hate Rhine, so that helps, I guess, in the future. And they know that the Galactic Empire won't randomly attack them because they're you know, on the edge of space and Ryan doesn't care anymore, but they continue to make preparations and stay ready in case he does. Um, 
it also shows at this point that Julian has been scrapbooking uh, Yang's memoir drafts. Like Yang had a bunch of notes, I guess, scattered all over his apartment. He's trying to put together to write the Similarian or something. Yeah, and it, like apparently it's just it's kind of soothing for the him Book of Lost Tales, like talking, sir. Yeah. It's like talking to Yang to a certain extent, just going through all of his words and organizing. Yeah, them. there was a monologue here in, of this of him reading through Yang's notes. The main takeaway and the main quote I have here is words are like icebergs of the heart. You see small parts of them with more hidden below, and that's what they're trying to go for or something. Like you use words deliberately. Yeah. yeah. Um, Julian has vowed to himself to try to find for a way for Isolorn to coexist with the Galactic Empire. Uh, we see Frederica talking to Yang's picture. He wants him to come back as a pension thief. Maybe he's making jokes about all that. Um, she has the wonderful line, which is often quoted, you might have killed millions of people, but you made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great way to look at it. Sometimes Frederica maybe should work on her work too. <laughs> Luckily, she's not in a line of work that, may, that requires you to be careful with your words at all. <laughs> not at all, no. As the what? What is her current position? Pre- president yeah, of everything? She, yeah. <laughs> Presidents don't need to worry the about what they say. President of all you. this and that. Um, I, have, I hate the undutiness. <laughs> Boris came back on a ship uh, with news that Trunit is back on Heineson. Um, everybody wonders why the fuck would Ryan let Trunit go back. But uh, he then tells them about the bishop going into Trunin's place, and so now they're all concerned. And the narrator ends the episode by saying that Julian has two objectives, to plant democracy and to keep it strong, and to get revenge for Yang. And to do the second, he's asking Boris to look into the whole Earth so, Church bullshit. So I like this because there's a bit of a... Probably because of how Isserlone is so cut off, he had to come there and tell them in person as opposed to calling, but... What I like is he comes over there, tells them this, and it says immediately he leaves and goes right back to spy on them. Yeah, Isolhorn, like, did they just get, sort like, of like, hey, television? I found the Earth Church president. He's still alive. Get the fuck back over there then! <laughs> <laughs> like, Isolhorn is like, they, they say it's on the edge of the universe and all that, on the edge of civilization and stuff. Well, like, I guess they don't Heineson, have a phone line. From Heineson, they said it was like a four week flight? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, episode 89 starts out with uh, the narrator talking about how Reinhardt is trying to get rid of a lot of shitty old traditions the old Galactic Empire had but the one he couldn't get rid of is assassination attempts ah the assassination yeah. tradition I knew I forgot something <laughs> yeah so it shows a scene of him at a pep rally at uh, Fazan I'm guessing he's walking down a parade route which seems stupid but uh, on either side there are you know thousands and thousands of people cheering him on and they show some guy looking really shifty and got to start stuff. Um, the guy tries to start crap, but um, he ends up being captured by the escort that Ryan has. Yeah, they just they show him like kind of looking over at him like, that guy looks like he's up to some shit. He Let's also was carrying a wooden stake, so clearly he thinks Reinhardt <laughs> is a vampire. Which, but which Reinhardt sense, was walking, walking around day. at daytime, my dude. What is wrong with you? He's one of those daywalkers. He's got the pale skin. The motherfuckers are always trying to stab dudes uphill. What? <laughs> <laughs> so Reinhardt like kind of goes up. The improv line of Kierkegaard's. <laughs> <laughs> Reinhardt tries to ask the guy, like, why the fuck are you doing this, bro? And the guy starts popping off about uh, Westerlin, which if you remember back to, like, episode 10 or 15, was the plot where the Brunschwigs were trying to nuke it, and then Oberstein let them nuke it and got it on camera. So they could use it to uh, politically get rid of Brunswick's power. 
yeah, guess they the didn't guy- interfere. They didn't keep the nukes from happening, which is something that was within their power. Yeah, so the guy's like, why didn't you stop that? You killed my family, you fucking bastard. And Reinhardt's shocked by this. Like, I, first off, I don't even know how anybody knew about that since it was like a kind of kelp secret. But secondly, like, no one has called him out on this, I guess, in the past. And this, Well, the thing is, um, when it happened in the series, they found out about it, but it was on the down low. So, hmm. you know, they, they were basically able to say, oh, wow, this nuke came out of nowhere. We couldn't make it in time when something I'm a little lost on here is that this dude is under the assumption that Reinhardt could have stopped it and did not. So I don't know if there's like some rumors going on that Reinhardt knew it about it probably, in advance or what. Yeah, it was probably some people like managed to prove or whatever. Maybe. It's like underground knowledge. But it also just got, you know, swept aside probably because of, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan's success and all that but stuff. But yeah, like, but like this fucks Reinhardt up. Like Reinhardt is like shook hard yeah. the whole time. And that's when Oberstein walks forward and um oberstein now loading westerland.txt <laughs> yeah he narrate beginning goes so hard yeah just oberstein does not care about this it takes blame <laughs> and this is dude for not succeeding in the attempt and i think my favorite part too is specifically oberstein's like by the way it was uh really more my fault that that all happened so if you were gonna swing for somebody you should have shot at me and i have less security guards you fucking idiot yeah (laughs) yeah it's great it's stone cold it's so cold yeah like it just like literally he's just like he's like you should have been trying to assassinate me and there's less dudes guarding me who knows maybe you could have gotten him well next time fucko (laughs) (laughs) machiavelli and garfield's like man everybody wants to kill ryan nobody wants to kill garfield why is this eat this lasagna motherfucker So the guy's still popping off. Um, Ryan is still not taking a while. It shows him petting the kid doctor's head while this is happening, which yeah. is strange. But eventually they take him away. Uh, Reinhardt asks Kessler, who is with him, how the guy will be tried. Uh, Kessler says, well, there's no precedent under your rule, but in the old rule, this guy would just be killed. Um, Oversign says they would kill him. Ryan says no. Oversign says that uh, he won't take a pardon, so there's no reason in asking for it. Kessler said that they should just offer him a, you know, peaceful suicide or whatever give him the poisoned wine or the hemlock or whatever ryan says there's going to be no more killings for westerland and he like takes off in defeat like he kind of runs away from the situation because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to deal with it uh there's a flashback to the westerland nuke situation when the whole thing of kilky ice asking ryan about it because if you remember kilky ice uh when he got wind of the rumor he asked straight up what happened and ryan yeah, that was like, the first big yeah. stumbling block between yeah. them that was the time where Kilke Ice just basically straight up said, like, you were better than that, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, yeah. So this is happening. This flashback happened when Ryan was in his room pouring a glass of wine. Um, the wine spilt over his hand, and there was a match cut of him with Kilke Ice's blood on his hand because it did that whole shot where Kilke Ice was dying and that, too. Yeah, and there's <laughs> also the whole thing of, oh, no, I spilled this wine over my hand. This is a metaphor that I think happened, like, in episode 10 or 20. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so Hildegard shows up, um, she knows he's feeling <laughs> despicable for himself and she says that, uh, uh, he's feeling despicable for letting Brunswick do all that. Uh, she tells him to make him feel better, uh, that he's done a lot of good for the universe. You know, all of his reforms and refactoring and uniting and everything has done a lot more good than letting those people die, even though it was bad. Uh, he's still upset about this. So she goes to leave. He wants her to stay saying that he can't bear being alone for the night. Um, there is a scene of the windows with curtains on them, like, outside, and it shows, like, she goes over and, like, hugs his head. 
and then immediately cuts the both of them in bed. Uh, Ryan has <laughs> in this part at episode 89 done the fuck. Air horns. Finally. Go. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She wakes up the next morning in bed next to him, kind of like brushing his hair or whatever. She gets out, dresses, leaves the room. Kid doctor's out in the hallway, passed out. She gives a salute to the one guy standing there, the guard. Uh, she goes home. Lee, like, she drives up to her house. The butler's like, where have you been all night? And she just walks inside and takes what I'm assuming is the longest shower she's ever taken. Um, and this is probably the funniest scene in the entire series. <laughs> she goes and sits down at breakfast with her father, who's already eating. Uh, Marendorf Sr. is like, so how'd last night go? And she just immediately starts, like, panicking. She drops so the fork. you finally did it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's like, what am I going to do? Because, like, not only did she fuck the, her boss, she also fucked the emperor of space. <laughs> yeah, so she's flipping out, and he's just kind of like, no, nah, you're good. Yeah, he's no, trying to be supportive about really it. really collected, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so Ryan, he, they got a note from the butler that says that Ryan has showed up out front unannounced. And now she's, like, super panicking. Like, she yeah, can't like the move. Butler, the butler's just like, he's like, yeah, there was a knock at the door and I opened it. And it was just the emperor. And he, I am, what do I do? And so the dad's just kind of like, you're going to you gonna answer this, Hilda? Or do you want me to handle this one, hon? Me? Okay. And she's just, like, just like, sitting like, still trembling. So dad goes out and runs interference for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, this I love is one how, of, how just messed up Reinhardt is. It's like a totally different character. It's, it's great. Like a fucking like a teen losing his. Shit. I did it's the great. thing that everybody told me to do. Here, are flowers. I'm told to do this. Here, are the flowers. Here you go. Can yeah, I like, marry your daughter? Like, it's really funny too because it shows the dad walking out, and Reinhardt has the big like a bouquet that's covered up his entire top half of his. Yeah, body. so something we and skipped, the dad just kind of smirks like, "Oh Jesus Christ!" Yeah, so These something we skipped kids. over previously is when they had that double date with. Uh, Mittenmeyer and his wife uh, they asked Mittenmeyer how he met his wife and Mittenmeyer tells him about all the flowers he got so like I guess Reinhardt not knowing any better or when he proposed particularly yeah. he was like well what kind of roses did you bring when you proposed to her and it was like uh, okay yeah so Reinhardt not knowing any better did exactly what Mittenmeyer did and brought like a billion roses and also, like, the way this scene is shot, he looks, like, super bishonen with, like, the sparkles and glowing uh, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. And my other favorite part, too, is the dad's just, like, he, like Reinhardt's, like, panicking. I was like, so I brought flowers because we did a thing, and I wanted to make sure that we're married because I don't want to be, like, an old bourgeois guy. And he's just like, you okay? He's like, do you think Hilda likes flowers? And he's like, I don't think my daughter hates flowers. No. <laughs> it's like, do you think she likes flowers? I don't think she hates them. But <laughs> it's just funny watching, like, yeah, two of the most powerful people in the universe just like reduced to gibbering idiots over this. <laughs> as this one old dude is just kind of fucking cracking up, including one of the funniest lines yeah. of the entire series <laughs> later on. So yeah, Reinhardt wants to propose. Is asking for Meridor Seniors. A consent to propose to Hildegard because he doesn't want to be lecherous like the old Kaisers and he doesn't want her to blackmail him. like he doesn't know what the hell he's going to he doesn't know what casual sex is so mm -hmm. dad plays the diplomat he uh, says listen both of you need to regain your composure and think this over uh, you should come back later she's not in any you know position to see you so Reinhardt leaves 
Dad goes back to Hildegard, who's still sitting at the breakfast table. Uh, he tells her about the proposal. She's, of course, flustered by all this. Dad gives, like, a weird history lesson about some virgin king in the 17th century that also <laughs> needed the fuck or something. I don't know where he was going with that. Like, he was just, like, some incredible king who was the best and super good at military, and everybody loved him. Yeah, that was, he just, like, that was... He was so good at that that he just never was good enough to do a fuck or something. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Charles the Twelfth, uh, king of Sweden. That's who he was talking about there, and that was one of the uh, mm-hmm. inspirations for Reinhardt. Yeah, so... Not, she... not a pretty boy like Reinhardt. Hildegard thinks that Reinhardt is doing this out of obligation. Um, she doesn't want to force him into anything. Dad asks her, like, point blankly, like, what do you think? What do you want as a person? And she doesn't know what she's doing at all. And so she, like, Dad's like, like well, you probably should think about this. And she runs off and does whatever. And then Dad and then the makes best. the funniest fucking note of, like, the funniest <laughs> thing. Okay, so he's just kind of, like, pondering to himself. He's like... You know, I really do believe when someone is truly great at something, they probably lose a little bit of something else. Like, you know, Reinhardt is amazing at military matters and pretty good at politics. And uh, my daughter's great at politics and really is uh, able to see through situations. I wonder if either of them can fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, boy, that must have been a a really awkward night. Mm. Man, it must have been like two kids trying to rebuild a radio. That's going to be my new euphemism now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, babe, let's go rebuild the radio. (laughs) So after all of that hilariousness, we uh, see a scene of Reinhardt's back in his office shuffling papers around because you really, after your first time, it's kind of hard to work. Uh, Kessler (laughs) shows up. He says that um, the assassin from the other day committed suicide. Uh, Reinhardt wondered if Kessler did it. Kessler's like, no, man, it's not me. But uh, Kessler also really didn't prevent it, the narrator says, mm-hmm. saying that uh, he knows that he wouldn't he would have died if they let him free anyway. And that's the end of that episode. It seems really weird that they tried to shoehorn that like re- resolution to the assassin thing after all the weird fuck plot. Here's your dinner, <laughs> along with an incredibly sharp knife. Well, I'm going to go now and yeah. take my eyes off you. Bye. Oh, weird. Oh, okay. Don't. I left like six feet of rope somewhere in your cell. Oh, God. I, I dropped. Oh, where'd my hemlock go? God. Oh, beans. Oh, crap. Oh, man. This is really embarrassing. I put a ton of barbiturates just all up in that toilet. So don't drink the water from the toilet and die. <laughs> yeah, these episodes were weird. <laughs> they yeah. kind of went all over the place. It was like some introduction, some setup, and then some major events going forward. I liked them. They weren't like completely void of things because it wasn't just. It, it was the early King season. The G six. Yeah, it was the early A7. New season. Yeah. Shit. There was some political intrigue, and somebody got fucked, but not by politics. <sighs> by a politician, but. Yeah. And scene. <sighs> The next episodes will actually get back into political intrigue, and plus you could tell that the marriage thing is going to go someplace. But All right, sick. Well, podcast of the Galactic Heroes. Ryan finally did the fuck. <laughs> is, that the na- is that the name we're going with? <laughs> hey, Sanime!